Well, good morning. Hope you guys are doing great. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Before I get into my sermon, I want to introduce our newest staff member, Trey Woodard. He's in the back. Wave to him, Trey. He's, he's got his hand up. Welcome him. He's our new pastor of student ministry. We're so glad to have him on our team. I know he's gonna, this is his first Sunday here, so make sure you welcome him and you go out to the lobby and say hi to him. He and his faith, we're excited that they're here joining our team, and I think they're going to do a great job here with our students. Um, I think I mentioned before, my wife and I used to have chickens, and uh, in, uh, last spring, I think it was almost a year ago, uh, Liz, or my daughter and I, Hallie, we were going on a daddy-daughter date on a Saturday morning, and so we're heading out west on 73 towards Lincolnton. We live in Denver, so Lincolnton's not too far from us, and uh, so we're heading out there, and I get this frantic call from Liz. And my wife, and she, she calls me, she's like, you got to come home right now. And, and, then, and, and I'm like, you know, when someone's calling you frantically, there's something wrong. And finally she's like, there's a raccoon in the chicken coop. And so Liz went in there that morning to do some chicken stuff, and she's doing, just doing her thing. And she turns around, and there's this raccoon that's like where the water is, and he's just kind of like, you know, putting like water to like take a little bath. And so she runs out, and, and I turn around, and I come home, and by that time the raccoon was gone, but you know, raccoons and chickens don't mix well together. And so I knew I had to do something. So I went to Tractor Supply, got my, got my uh, trap and, and figured out what I needed. And I did my Google search, what do raccoons like to eat? And I put my bait in there. And uh, a couple nights later, I caught my first raccoon. And let's just say there's one last raccoon, one less raccoon in Lincoln County this morning. And, uh, you know, just because... If you let a raccoon in where chickens are, we're going to lose all of our chickens. And so one of the things that, that when you read this letter in Galatians, Paul is this urgency he has to be like, I, there's a problem. There's a problem in the church. There's a raccoon in the chicken coop, and i got to kill this thing. That's exactly what Paul's doing. He's writing this very intense letter to this church, to this church because there's, there's a virus of theology that is teaching a different gospel, which is not a gospel at all. And so to two major problems that Paul is going to address throughout this letter, which are the two attacks that these people called the Judaizers would bring against Paul, is that he was not truly authoritatively an apostle. And number two, that Paul wasn't teaching the pure gospel. That they taught, the Judaizers believed that, hey, yes, it's important for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you must also... You must also be circumcised. You must also obey the Mosaic law. So it was Jesus plus works. And so Paul is addressing these things. And so he initially first goes off the first paragraph. Hey, listen, there's only one gospel. We talked about that two weeks ago. And he lays out this idea that there's no, there's no different variations of this gospel. There's one genuine gospel, and I already taught it to you. And then he's going to give three stories that back up that premise. He's going to share three stories of his own experience to prove that the things that he taught them are genuine. They're legit. They're real. They're pure. And so last week when Pastor Dan was up here, he shared the first story, Paul's conversion. 
And so he shares Paul's conversion story of how he got this revelation from God and, and God changed his life and, and the story of how he even engaged with Peter in Jerusalem and, and throughout that entire experience, never once did you say, and oh, also, you got to make sure that you're circumcised. Now, Paul was already a Jew, so that wasn't an issue, but he's letting him know, my own experience, what I received, direct revelation from Jesus Christ, this never came up. And then he shares the second story this morning that we just read uh, this, this morning, the story of Paul with the church in Jerusalem and this affirmation that Paul gets from this church. This is important because, because the Judaizers that were going to all these churches in Galatia were saying, listen, we come from Jerusalem. We come from the people who are the true apostles. And let me tell you what they would teach if they were here with you. And so Paul's going to have to explain why it's important that this church it backs up what Paul says. The third story he's going to share, which is when we're talking about two weeks, the week after Easter, is when Paul and Peter have an argument. Isn't it refreshing to know that even apostles fought amongst each other? No one's perfect. We all make mistakes. And so the story of, of, of Paul's confrontation of Peter is what we're going to get into two weeks from now. But this story of Paul going to Jerusalem is a really important story. You know, whenever you read these narratives in, in Scripture, you're kind of like, okay, why is this important? And why is this relevant to us? And, and I believe it's important, and I believe it's relevant, because the very nature of church allows itself to be, to be used in a negative way sometimes. Um, you know, we, we talked in the last two sermon series, we talked about thriving in Babylon, talking about the world system, the Babylon that's out there and trying to corrupt our, our own thinking, our own hearts, our own way of life, and how we got to stand true and firm on the word of God and the ways of God. And then we talked about legacy planning and how we need to have families that are building our lives on God's word and God's ways. But it was a lot of, a lot of the themes of the last two sermon series have been, hey, the world out there. Is, has a different way of belief and a different system of values than the Word of God has, than God has. And we need to make sure that the world does not creep into our own hearts and minds that changes us. Well, one of the things that we see here in this letter of Galatians is that there's as much danger of, of false narrative, of false theology coming into our lives in the church than is outside the church. That the church, within the church, bad things can happen. And you know why? Because the church is made up of people. You know, I was just I had this thought today, you know, when you talk about church life, uh, you, we live around Lake Norman, and every once in a while we see these people put these decals, these stickers on their, on their vehicles, and, and you see beach life, and you see lake life. I've never seen anyone have a church life sticker on their car. Because sometimes church is just messy. And the reality is sometimes the things that happen in church and the people that do things in the name of Jesus can cause great harm to us. You know, Pastor Dan and I, we're on our, we have a schedule of some things that we're going to record this year on our Life Talks podcast. And, uh, you know, we're going to be, in the near future, we're going to be doing a series on church hurt and spiritual abuse because that's a real thing. There's, and maybe, I don't know everyone's story in this room, but maybe you're here this morning and the things that you experienced, the only reason you're in this building this, this morning is because that you had to heal 
from something you experienced in church. And the reality is the things that are going on, the reason why Paul is addressing the things in the church is because people were going in the name of Jesus to these churches in Galatia and teaching them false doctrines. They were using some of the things within church, uh, some, of the, some of the aspects of religion, and abusing them in a way to make them get in the way of the gospel. And that's one of the things that, that I think the main point of this, these first 10 verses in chapter 2 teaches us, and, and that is this, that religion and the things of religion can get in the way of the gospel. People will use religion to cloud the reality of who Jesus is and the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we've got to do is make sure that the things of religion... The components of religion never take precedence or never become the main thing above the main thing of the gospel. And so, and so that's what this morning is about. And, and, and the thing, the components of the religion that we're going to be talking about this morning that we see here in the text are tradition, authority, and, and activity. All right? Tradition, authority, and activity. These things that, that are, are good, tradition in and of itself is good. We're not, you know, it's not, tradition isn't bad. Authority isn't bad. You know, activism isn't bad. But when they become the main thing, when the traditions of people become the main thing above the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a problem. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Maybe you're walking through the, you're, you're navigating your own thoughts and feelings because the things that you know and you hear from God's word are, some of the, are, are competing with some of the other messages you have heard from other people that have been on stages like this and taught you something differently. What do you do with that? How do we manage the, 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 the religion that sometimes gets in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, that's why we have to have our antennas up. That's why whenever we, we come into rooms like this or any environment where there's, we're saying we're doing this in the name of Jesus, that we never check our brains at the door. That we never just assume that someone who says, I stand and I speak for Jesus, will do that thing. And so we're going to look at these three components because each of these ways, again, are good in of themselves, but can get in the way of the gospel. It's kind of like this when, you know, if you're married or if you're in a relationship, um, you know, God has created marriage to be about oneness, emotional oneness, physical oneness, spiritual oneness, that two becoming one. That's God's design. That's God's desire for marriage. And yet we all know this. There are things that sometimes married couples will wake up one day and they're more roommates than they are soulmates. And the reason why they let that, maybe there's nothing big that happened, but maybe it was just we let the kids and we let the career and we let the hobbies all get in the way between us. And again, there's nothing, um, kids are a blessing and work is great and hobbies are wonderful, but when they cloud, when they get in the way of the true love you need to have in your life, that's a problem. And so just like that, today we're going to look at these, the tradition, the authority, and the, the activities of religion that get in the way of the gospel. So let's look at them. Let's look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 again. I want to read just the first five verses. And it says this, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. 
I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. Now, what's going on here? There's a parallel passage in Acts chapter 15. If you want to write that down and you want to read that later, Acts chapter 15, it's the Jerusalem Council. Well, in in Acts chapter 13 and 14 is Paul's missionary journey. When he's going around, he's planting these churches in Galatia, in other parts of of Asia. And so he's he's seeing the Spirit of God work and seeing these people come to know Jesus. But what's happening is the very situation that he's writing this letter, people are going along and they're sharing, hey, Paul's not teaching the, the, the full Bible. And so... What happens is these Judaizers are sending messages back to the church in Jerusalem saying, hey, listen, Paul is not teaching the full, the full Bible. And what Paul is hearing is, no, they're mixing up the, the Mosaic law, the old covenant with the new covenant. And so they make this, there's this huge gathering of, of all the leaders, the elders and the, the apostles and everyone's there. And, and they have this massive meeting of the church leaders and they say, hey, we've got to figure this out. What do you do with the Mosaic law? What do you do with circumcision and the gospel? And so Peter gets up and he says, listen, you know my experience. Acts chapter 10, I, I got this vision from God and to, to say, you know, eat this unclean food, food and, and then the Spirit of God led me to the Cornelius, this Roman centurion, and, and the Spirit of God, they, they heard the message of Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God came upon them, and he saved them. And so Paul stands up, and he shares the, the same stories. Listen, we experience the same thing. And throughout this entire council, what they hear is the Spirit of God is working among the Gentiles before they even think about circumcision. And so what happens is, after they read, after, after this, all the, all the information comes and they say, is circumcision required? Is the Mosaic law required for salvation? Absolutely not. And so what the first thing we've got to overcome is, is tradition. The, the religion of rules. The, the component of religion that can get in the way of the gospel is tradition. What we just talked about here is this idea of, hey, listen, we had to talk about this idea. Paul in verse, verse 3, look at this, it says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. The reason why he mentions Titus is because Titus is one of them. These churches would have known Titus. And if Titus was one who went to the council in Jerusalem, and they, he stood before the apostles, and the council said, no, he is great, he doesn't need to be circumcised, then that's proof that, that he has, Paul has to this church, that they don't need to be circumcised. Look at the next two verses. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we, might, that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Now that theme of freedom and slavery, is going. we're going to see this woven throughout the letter. Make a mental note because this theme Paul's going to use again and again. What he says is slavery is that idea of, of being bound by human traditions. There's freedom in Christ and so he introduces this idea here. We're going to get to it later, but I want you to see this. This is the first time he mentions this, all right? Um, to them, to these Judaizers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The truth of the gospel, not the traditions of men. Now, why is this so important? It's important because there are many times that there's things that we do in the church 
that, that become tradition. And again, tradition is not bad. There's a lot of good traditions. And the, and the problem why this is such a hard thing is because the Judaizers, they could pull up their chapter and verse and say, God said to be circumcised. This is what the Bible says, so aren't we doing it? And what Paul and what Peter and what the other apostles said is, yes, but you're forgetting something. That when Jesus came, he changed everything. When Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, he declared to them, listen, all the promises of the law are fulfilled now in me. That I am now establishing the new covenant. The new covenant that was prophesied in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, now there is a new covenant, the old covenant, the old ways, the Mosaic law, the circumcision. It stopped being a must and started to become a may or a might. See, it, it didn't, God isn't saying it's, it's horrible, it's bad, but if we, you use that as a means for ma- to making you acceptable to God, you got it all wrong. Jesus changed everything. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection transformed our, our relationship with the old covenant because Jesus established the new covenant. And so once you understand that, then, then what, we do, what do we do with all these old things? Well, they become traditions that are not necessary. They become things that you could do, but you don't have to do. Because you know what's interesting is, you know, remember he brings up Titus here in Galatians chapter 2. Hey, Titus wasn't circumcised. Well, if you read in Acts chapter 15, after this Jerusalem council, and they say, you don't have to be circumcised, Paul takes Timothy and circumcises him. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make, you're like, well, wait a second, I thought what, Paul knew that there's this wisdom that, listen, there are times when there's things that you should do, but you don't have to. And he doesn't mix it up with the gospel. That, that tradition, in, and there are times when tradition gets in the way. Good traditions, things that are good in and of themselves, but they lose their sense, they lose their meaning, and they cloud our judgment, and they become the main thing before the gospel. I'll give you an example. Um, I'm not sure how many of you grew up in church. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor uh, so I didn't have any option. I didn't have any choice in the matter. But, you know, if you grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, chances are you went to church at least three times a week, right? You had, sun- well, actually, probably more than that if you were a really good Christian. Because you had Sunday morning, or you had Sunday school. You had Sunday school in the morning, Sunday morning church at 11 o'clock, then you had Sunday evening service. Then you had Wednesday night prayer meeting. And then you had Wednesday, you know, Thursday night visitation. I mean, there's all kinds of things. They keep you busy all week long. And I remember growing up, going to, I'm like, I'm like, why do we have Sunday night church? It's just worse music and worse preaching later in the day. <laughs> I never understood it. Like, why? And my parents were like, just, just be quiet and get in the car, Right? And, and it, there came a point where people stopped having, we don't have Sunday night services today. And I know some of you old-timers are like, yeah, but that, I'll tell you what, that, we were serious about Jesus then. Well, let me tell you something. Do you know why the Sunday night service even started? The Sunday night service started as an evangelistic meeting. What happened was churches, when the, 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 with the innovation of the light bulb, which was very new, 
Um, very few people could, could afford light bulbs or to afford electricity. Well, churches were one of the first places, common places in cities that, would just, that had light bulbs. And so what they would do is at night, they would turn them on and people wanted to go see the electricity. And pastors used that as a means to share the true light of Jesus Christ. But you see, that's how Sunday night services started. They started, you know, a hundred years ago with an evangelistic means. And then it transformed into something and all of a sudden it's like, why do we do this? That happens over and over and over again. The ways of man. God used this in the past. Just because God used something 50 years ago doesn't mean that he's going to use it again today. One of the things I always find fascinating about God is if you read the stories in the Old Testament of the battles of the Israelites, there's never a, there's never a battle plan that's the same. First is, I want you to march around this, this city seven times. Next time, I want the singers to go out in the front. The next, I'm just going to have an angel kill everyone overnight. I mean, there's just all these different ways. Why? Because God is like, I don't want you to get married to the ways. I want you to come to me. Let, let, the, let the ways of how you do things be flexible to what I'm doing. And I think that one of the things that we do as human beings, we just, we let other things get in the way of people. We let other things get in the way of the gospel. I have a pastor friend who uh, pastors in the, in the mountains of North Carolina. And, uh, you know, it's a smaller country church. Um, and, and they're a little bit older. And so they were like, hey, we want to attract families. We want this church to be a bit more outreach oriented. So they built this family life center. Spent mil- raised millions of dollars and built this beautiful, you know, part gymnasium, family life center. And and so there came, they finally took them a couple years to raise the funds and to build it. And so at the dedication of this building, my friend, the pastor, he gets up there and he's got this cup of coffee and everyone's just so excited to be in the building for the first time. And he takes his cup of coffee and he spills it on the carpet in front of everyone. He says, now, I'm the pastor, I made the first spill. Let's use this building for people. And let's not worry about kids out there coming in here messing up this stuff because this building is not as important as people who need to hear Jesus. You see, that's what happens. The traditions of men are elevated and it's those things that become more important to us than the souls of men and women. Traditions are good, but they are dangerous. They are dangerous. You know, there's even a movement today. I, I see it flickering on the, on the fringes of church today. Uh, I hear this, and it's all over social media in different times. It kind of flares up over every couple of years. It's called the Hebrew Roots Movement. And this idea of, hey, we need to, as Christians, we should be observing the festivals of the Old Testament. And we need to, this is, if Jesus did this, then we need to do it. Now listen, there's nothing wrong if you want to, you know, observe Yom Kippur, and if you want to have a Seder meal, I mean, we had a Seder meal here last year on, on a Saturday night. If you want to do that, knock yourselves out. But observing the, fest, the Jewish festivals does not make you a better Christian. It does not make, you, make God love you more. And, and this, over and over, it doesn't matter where it comes from, there are times when people bring in their own message and say, hey, if you do these traditions... 
This is, what, this is what's really important. And the moment we do that, we put something above the gospel. We put something in between the gospel and people. And so we always have to be aware of the traditions of man. How have the traditions, how have religious traditions impacted you? Listen, traditions are wonderful. They're comforting. There are things that you just love to do. Like, like we had the candlelight service on Christmas Eve. And I, I, I can't remember when we did that again. But people are like, oh, I love the candle on Christmas Eve. It's just so wonderful, right? It just made my Christmas holding that candle. Is there anything wrong with holding a candle on Christmas? No. Did it make you feel really good for a few minutes? Seeing the glow? Yeah, that's nice. It doesn't matter if it does not mean that we love people more. It does not matter if we love that more than we love the gospel. Unhinge your your love for the traditions more than you love the, the gospel. Check, check your heart and see where that's reality. And what we've got to do is make sure that we fix our eyes on the reality of gospel. That's number one, tradition. Number two, authority. So the first thing that he talks about is the tradition that they were addressing that the apostles said, no we, we, there's no, we don't have to elevate the tradition of circumcision above the true gospel. But look at verse 6. Let's, let's read this. And from those who seem to be influential... What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through, the, through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, which is Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So Paul now brings up the issue of authority. This is important because, again, what the Judaizers were saying is, hey, the church in Jerusalem, we come from the church in Jerusalem and our message is the pure message. And so what Paul is doing is in his bringing forth his argument, he's saying, listen, we had this council we were before everyone. Everyone at the council accepted Titus. He was not meant to be circumcised at all. And then he brings up these guys, Peter, James, and John. Now, these are, it's a different James than the Peter, James, and John you'll read about in the Gospels. This James in Galatians is the half-brother of Jesus. It's, he's the guy that wrote the epistle of James that you find later on in your Bibles. James, the, the Peter, James, and John, that James, uh, who is the older brother of John, was persecuted and killed by Herod. We read about that in, uh, in the book of Acts. And so what happened was James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection, becomes a follower of Jesus. And he becomes one of the main leaders of the church in Jerusalem. We see this when you read Acts chapter 15. You'll see James's voice is very prominent even more so than Peter's as a leader of the church. But what, what Peter's saying here, or what Paul is saying here is, listen, these guys who seem, that there's a key word that Paul uses over and over and over in these 10 verses. He uses it four times, and it's the word seemed. Seemed. Look, look at verse 2, okay? If you want to mark your, your Bibles, this is, this is where it says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, right? Underline that word seemed. 
Go to verse 6, and from those who seemed to be influential, underline that word seemed, same word, I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. There's a third time. And then the fourth time, verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be what is Paul saying here? This word seemed is, is mentioned four times. He's saying, this, this word seemed is from the Greek verb dokeo, which means to think or to perceive. What he's saying is, from the human perspective, these people had authority. But he's saying there, within this, don't buy into what they did because of them. He says a very important statement there in verse 6 in this parenthesis. What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Now, now Paul is having to thread a needle here. Because what he's trying to do is, he's trying to say, listen, my gospel is the same as their gospel. Paul did not need their, their, affirm, or their confirmation, right? He didn't need a confirmation from these guys. But he was letting them know that they, he had their affirmation. Because Paul was saying, what I got from these guys was just saying, hey, this is the same gospel. But there is a greater authority. What Paul's saying is, stop looking at people to say, well, I come from this teacher. I come from this school of thought. This was really, really big in the first century. If you could say, I could trace my teaching lineage back to this great teacher, you were supposed to be held in greater honor, in greater reverence. And so what Paul is bringing up this point is that all of, the, all of us, myself, all of these guys, there is a greater authority in the room when we're there. How do I know? Because he mentions this greater authority in verses 7 and 8. On the contrary, when I saw I had been entrusted with the gospel of the circumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted. Now, who's entrusting? There's, there's something that was received that, that Paul and Peter received from someone. He says in verse 8, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Who is the he? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. There is a greater authority that, is, that sits above humans. And this is so important for us anytime that we are in a church environment like this. Anytime someone has stands on a platform that's elevated, there is a danger to look at a man instead of God. And we've always got to make sure that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Paul and Peter were saying, listen, the reason why our gospels were legitimate was because the authority of Jesus Christ gave it to us. There is a greater authority that, that, uh, that sits above me. Even though I have a position of pastor, even though I'm an elder, I'm not greater than any other elder in this church. And, and, and if I get up here on a Sunday morning and I, can, and I teach for 42 minutes, if at any point in those 42 minutes I see, say anything or do anything that is contrary to the word of God, guess what sits above me? This word. I am held accountable to what is in this book. Nothing I say should go unchecked from is it true here because you know what? I sit under a greater authority. And what happens in churches and what can happen in religious circles is that people who are very gifted, can we can look at them and say, wow, look at them. 
Paul brings this up later on in, in, his, in his letter to, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. And within that church, people are like, well, I, Peter's my favorite teacher, and, and, and no, Paul's my favorite teacher. No, Apollos is my favorite teacher. And, and everyone had their own little tribe of people they were listening to. And, and one of the most fundamental things that can seep into churches is that we start following people instead of Jesus. Be very careful. Be very careful of celebrityism. I think what's, what I see happening in our culture today and what's happening within the culture of the church is happening just as likely outside the church is that there's a, there's a culture of celebrityism that is permeating our culture in the church and outside the church. And the reason why celebrityism is increasing is because when people's hearts are not in awe of God, they will find themselves being in awe of people. And what we've got to make sure is that nobody... No, we, we are not in awe of any person, but every person we see them as a vessel and a tool that God has used. You know, one of the things that, that, that you just have to remember that anyone that seems like, like, oh, can you believe that person is going to be in the room? Like, like, oh my goodness, that there's somehow their specialness being close to another person. And, and here's what I want you to understand. All celebrity is, all fame is, is relative. Because there could be someone that, that, you, that is known by millions of people. My kids do this all the time. Like, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so just said this. I'm like, who is so-and-so? Dad, you don't know who so-and-so is? I'm like, nope. He only has 70 million followers on YouTube. I've never heard of him before. I have a friend, I know a guy who, he's got this ministry to churches and to pastors, and he's in the financial world and the stewardship realm, and he works with churches a lot with giving, and, and, and that's just his thing. And, and so he travels around a lot in the country, and he came to a church I was on staff with years ago, and he was sharing the story about, because everyone always wants him to share the story. Well, he was flying from California, he lived in California, to another place to do his seminar, and so he goes into the plane, and he sits down next to this guy, and they just had, he said, we just had the best conversation for two hours just talking about stuff. And, and um, after the plane landed, this guy got special privilege to leave the plane early. And he walked out of the plane early. And and guy didn't think anything of it. But some, the lady sitting across from him in the aisle leans over and says, do you know who that was? And he was like, no. She's like, that was Tom Cruise. And he's like, who's Tom Cruise? All fame is relative. Fame is relative. Stop being impressed with people. We've got to make sure that we don't let what, you know, it's really easy when someone who, who impacts us in a great way, even spiritually speaking, you know, there, there, are, there are people that teach the word of God and maybe God has used someone, an individual, in a, in a profound way in your life. Praise God for that. But, but don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. One of the things that we, as a principal of this church, we have a teaching team that Pastor Dan and I share the teaching ministry here because we don't want this church to be, you come here to hear a man. We want you to be here. We want you to hear because we want you to hear from God. That Dan and I are simply vessels. That we are just teaching 
the word of God so that you hear from God. You're not hearing me. That you walk out of this room every single week and saying, wow, what a great savior, not what a great preacher. We've got to be very careful that our hearts are not drawn to the, the awe of man. But listen, it's easy. Churches do this all the time. So we've got to be aware. Be, be, beware of churches or spiritual leaders that claim exclusive privilege to interpret the Bible. Beware of churches or denominations that claim that church authority or, special, or a special individual is as an equal authority as God's word. That's the reason why we are not a Catholic church. Because, and that's the reason why the Reformation happened. Because people said, no, the word of God has greater authority over the popes, over, over the church. That, that church is not equal in authority to God's word. That's something that, that is convictional for us. Beware of a church authority that believes that anything outside their ministry is inferior. Listen, we live in a day and an age where people will use and abuse spiritual authority. And, and, and it's going to happen. And when it does happen, we need to pray for those people underneath that ministry. But above all, what you and I must do, and we must always do, is fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And let, us be, let our hearts be enamored with him. So we have tradition, we have authority. Both those can get in the way of the gospel. And then lastly, activism. Activism. Look at, you have this last verse that's just this, you know, it just is this thing that hangs there. But, and I was going to just skip over it, but as the more I was studying it this week, I just realized, now this is important because I think this, is a, this can be just as much of a distraction as anything else. But look at verse 10, it says, only, so after this whole thing, after they, after Paul and Peter and, 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 the, and the leaders of Jerusalem church shook hands and said, no, we are equal. We are, the messages that we're sharing are the same messages. He adds this one thing, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, the reason why this is important is because many times, or there can be times when in the name of God and in religion, people want to elevate their activity as equal to make them right before God, makes them acceptable before God. And again, that's something we're hammering almost every week in this sermon series, is that what makes you and I acceptable to God is not our works. It's not our good works. Now, now let me just say this, that, that throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, the message of God's word is clear. That when God, because of God's love for us, it should, it should flow out of us into us loving others. There are so many commands that God gives to us in his word about how to love the poor, how to care for the poor, the widow and the orphan, and that we are not just people who, who are heavenly minded, who have the right theology, but we don't care about our neighbors and our friends. That yes, that's one of the great things I love about what we're doing this Friday that we are doing something to show people that God loves us. But please do not mix the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of us understanding the love of Jesus Christ for us with the roots of the gospel. The root of the gospel is very clear. That we are sinners, that God created this world, and that you and I have rebelled and sinned against God in our own way, through our spirit, through our behaviors, and so what God did is sent his son, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place, 
to take on our sin, to live the life that we could not live, and to die the death that you and I deserved. And so when we get to heaven, there's not going to be this giant scale up there that's kind of like, okay, if, it, if, if I'm good enough, my good, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, God's like, all right, come on in. No, that's, there's no scale. There's no scale. There's only your name is written in the Lamb's book of life because you've accepted Jesus because it's not about your works. It's about your faith. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for what he did for you on the cross, you will be saved. That's it. And what that means is that when I, when I fully comprehend the grace, the love, the mercy that I have received from God, it makes me want to love others. So when, when, when James and John and Peter are saying, hey, listen, remember the poor. Remember the poor. What he's saying is, this should always be a part of the outworking of my faith, but never a substitute for faith. If you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, yeah, I, if I was to die tonight, I would go to heaven because I believe in Jesus and something else, that's the wrong answer. There's no Jesus and. There's no Jesus plus. It's I, I'm, I, if I was to die tonight and stand before God and he should say, why should I let you into heaven? It's because I placed my faith in Jesus alone for my salvation. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it. I'm at the mercy of what Christ did for me on the cross. And so what we've got to make sure is we never let our actions make us think that we are more acceptable to God. We are, you are, here's what's so beautiful about the love of Jesus Christ. You and I in this room at this very moment, I don't care what you've done up until this point, what you're going to do after this point. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God cannot love you anymore. He cannot love you anymore. His love does not diminish when you sin, and his love does not increase for you when you do good. That is the power and the beauty of grace. And that you can only find that in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else, no other faith system. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Three questions, and then we're done. Number one, have you let religion get in the way of the gospel? Have you let religion get in the way of the gospel? Are, are you, do you care more about the traditions of men? Do you care more about the things that feel comforting to you than the things of God, than the actual, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you care more about making sure you get your own traditions in to feel good about your own faith system then you care about sharing the good news with people who are lost and going to hell today. Have you allowed the things, are you looking at people, are you allowing the, 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 the authority, the spiritual authority of other people to say, man, I follow that person. I love, I love their preaching. And it's all about them. And it's not about Jesus. Have you let things get in the way of the gospel? Number two, has someone led you to believe that religion is the gospel? You might be sitting here this morning, and everything I've shared with you about the, the reality of, of tradition and authority and good works, and you're sitting here this morning, and you just feel confused because the messages you receive from other people, from, from other churches, sound a little bit different than what I'm sharing with you today. It's very easy to hear from other people convincing arguments to say, no, what you've also got to do, it's Jesus plus. 
or you can only find salvation in this one church. You know, that's a dangerous thing. And maybe what you need is to ask God, say, God, clear away the clutter of religion. Clear away these things that have just filled my mind with all different ideas. And I want to just see the word of God purely for what it is. The message of the gospel, purely for what it is. And then lastly, what will you do with the pure gospel? What will you do with the pure gospel? You know, every week we've asked these five questions. I'm going to show them on the screen again because these questions are important. The first one, do you understand the gospel? Do you understand it? Have you, have you let religion or have you let what other people have said cloud your understanding of the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Or have you let the traditions and the authority of people cloud your belief? Maybe, maybe because of your own experiences of church abuse or, or spiritual hurt that, that you all of a sudden have a hard time believing in Jesus. Just don't let what, what people meant for evil keep you from the good of Jesus Christ. Because God loves you. And he doesn't want anyone to stand in the way of that person. He doesn't want anyone to stand in the way of you and him. And so, so, so if, you can, if you can see beyond what people did and in, in to abuse the name of Jesus for their own sake and say, I'm going to just focus on Jesus, he can help you do that. Where are you? Where do you get stumped? No matter where you are this morning, I am always going to make the invitation every week to say, hey, if you don't know how to answer, especially, especially those first two, come see me after the service. We have a prayer team out in the lobby that wants to talk with you to make sure that you have the clarity and you have the confidence that you know the gospel that will save your soul and set you free. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And as we respond, what is it that God is asking you to respond to this morning? What is the tradition? What is the religion? What is the authority? What is the activity that has clouded your ability to see Jesus clearly and to understand his gospel clearly? As we sing in just a few moments, we have stations around the room. We have four stations of communion set up. And maybe what you want to do this morning is just take some time. Maybe it's just you. Maybe it's you and your family to, to remember the pure gospel. To, to instead of trusting in religion and tradition and what men have said, you can go there out of a heart of worship and enjoy Jesus to remember what he's done for you. Maybe you've got some church hurt and you just need to talk to someone about it. No matter where you are spiritually, no matter what your questions are, I want to invite you to not leave here today before getting them answered. God is offering you the pure gospel. Will you take it? Father, we thank you that, that you are someone who cuts through the abuses of people. And God, I'm sure there's people in this room that need a healing touch from you today, that, that they have experienced the, the downside, the dark side of church, the dark side of religion. They have been used and abused and they have been taught 
things that are contrary to you and to your word. And I'm just praying right now that God help them to remember, to see, to believe in the pure gospel. That they take their eyes off of man and give to you their pain and their hurt. Oh God, I, I, I think about that church 2,000 years ago that was going through this how they had to make a decision whether they were going to listen to God or man. And I just thank you that they made the right choice. God, I pray that anyone in this room that's making that decision today would make that choice today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.